What is up, Bridger Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Tonight, episode number 65, our guest, Mariana Grudziak. She's the back-to-back Laurel Highlands Ultra Champion, also second place at Grayson Highlands 50-miler, and even fourth place finish last year at Rum River 100. She's incredible. She's an East Coast ultra running star and is just dominating the races right now. We were so excited to sit down and talk with her and learn all about her history, ultra running history, and a quite extensive injury history. So this is a good episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yo, what is Crack Lacking Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Tonight, we are joined by the back-to-back champion of the Laurel Highlands Ultra. She took fourth place at the inaugural Rim to River 100 last year. On top of all of that, she has an incredible story to share with us tonight about how she got to where she is today in the ultra world. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mariana Grudziak, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're super excited to have you on tonight's show. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Wesley Harton, and holding down the floor with me tonight is a man who recently moved to Mountain Time Zone, Missoula, Montana. He's the sixth man of the nation, Cam Wrench. What's up, dude? Really rookie mistake for getting to uh, unmute myself again, but I'm doing great, Wesley. How are you? You're starting the show. I mean, what's going on? I know it's a new show time for you at this time, 6 p.m. You're not used to it, but I'm not, at least just, unmute the not, first I did not first have thing. a warm-up time, you know? Like, <laughs> the air is so thin up here, like 3,600 feet. I just am not ready for it. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Let's start things off with how we always normally start things off. Uh, with What is everyone drinking tonight? Mariana, what, what are you drinking? I'm going with the Flying Embers uh, Hard Kombucha. It's a pineapple chili flavored, 6.8%, gluten-free, vegan, keto, very healthy. That's a super awesome, uh, one of the most unique drinks we've definitely ever had on the show. I know, I wouldn't even know where to get that, to be honest. Like, I'd have to do some real searching in the world to find that. So, (laughs) kudos to you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think uh, hard kombucha has made its way out to uh, Logan, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Kate, Actually, what are you it did. I... <laughs> is, is it out here? It is. I actually had it last week, except it's, you know, under 5%. So you should uh, go to the grocery store and get it. <laughs> I, I will make my rounds. I will make my rounds. All right. <laughs> Cam, what are you drinking? So I got a, uh, a Jeremiah Johnson Brewing Co., Hazy IPA. This is brewed with organic pineapple, not quite kombucha, but that's something. Um, the large brewed Montana sticker uh, caught my attention. I was uh, looking for a grocery store after I moved here, and I was like, oh, the, the good food store. That's literally the name of it. I was like, that's like local. It's been around for a long time. It turns out I just, I went into somehow an even bougier Whole Foods. Um, was not emotionally prepared for it. Kind of just oh. grabbed this and panicked and left. So that, that was a how moving went for me. Uh, Wesley, what do you got? I'm just glad you have something in your fridge. You know, normally like in Columbus, you had like just water. So at least we're <laughs> glad you found some beverages for yourself out there in Montana. I've got the Raz Wheat uh, Jackie O's again, really on the Jackie O's kick out here. Just can't get uh, enough of these Ohio beers, but 
pumped to kind of dive into tonight's show. As always, you can find the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Strava, check out our Strava club filled with so many incredible runners. Uh, as always, if you have questions for Mariana, drop them in the YouTube comments, and we'll be sure to relay those along. Let's just start off by getting to know you a little bit and kind of how you got into the ultra running world. You've kind of done some super awesome races and have some incredible performances over the past couple of years, but take us back to how you first kind of got into the sport and kind of what your first couple of runs looked like. Well, um, I wasn't always finishing in the top uh, two or three uh, places. Um, so my earliest running was kind of done on the soccer field and on the track. I was a sprinter straight up like 100 four by one anchor. And the 200 was like the furthest I would even like delve into running on a track. Um, and then, but I did play outside midfield for soccer. So I knew I could always run far and, you know, pretty fast up and down the field. But like the thought of just going for a run really was just not appealing. Um, I just needed something else to like keep my attention. So, um, but yeah, my goal was to play D1 soccer um, and several schools were on my radar. However, unfortunately I tore my ACL my junior year. So the story goes, you know, so all those hopes and dreams were dashed. I had to have another surgery afterwards. So I kind of settled on Penn State, close to home state school, got in state tuition. But like the sports that I played there were like beer pong and flip cup. So, you know, <laughs> I was a little out of shape after my freshman year. So I decided to finally like kind of get back into running when my knee was healed. And I started running like six to eight miles a day um, before working as a lifeguard. Um, but I never thought about ever doing any races. It was just kind of just to, you know, lose some weight, lose, you know, that freshman 15 and whatever. <laughs> so after I graduated from Penn State, I actually flew to my home country of Poland to celebrate, you know, travel with my sister, got to see, you know, planning on seeing the country, but I ended up in the hospital with a blood clot. <laughs> um, so in my arm, and I had to spend like five days in the hospital in Poland, got flown back to the US, I had to have that blood clot removed with a thrombectomy. And then I had to have my first rib removed, um, which was kind of occluding my subclavian vein, which is where I had that blood clot. So that was a huge setback in my life, um, kind of put everything into perspective, though, because I was like, oh, like tomorrow's not guaranteed, you know, you could not live till tomorrow. So um, it also kind of tested me mentally because it was like a pretty scary diagnosis to have and process to go through. Um, so after that, I like really wanted to test myself more mentally and physically um, and kind of do the things that I was like previously scared to do. Um, and then conveniently, the Pittsburgh Marathon was making a comeback um, that year in 2009. And um, I talked to my vascular surgeon at the time while I was still on blood thinners. And I was like, hey, like, what do you think about me training for a half marathon? And he's like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't think that's a great idea. But like, Finally, he cleared me. So I actually ran the half, like the first year the Pittsburgh Marathon came out. And like, obviously, after you run your first half, you're kind of like, okay, what's next? So I signed up for the full the next year. Um, and I was doing great. Training was going awesome. I was definitely in, like the best shape of my life. Then I went on a ski vacation, took a crash and tore <laughs> the ligaments in my ankle. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, then I hobbled around for like a year and it just kept getting worse and worse. And I ended up having surgery. Um, my surgeon just told me like basically in the OR, they were able to dislocate my ankle under anesthesia. So like, it was pretty bad, (laughs) but again, that was kind of like another setback had to crawl my way out of that hole. Um, but like the night before I had my ankle surgery, I went for a trail run at Frick Park in Pittsburgh, which a lot of Pittsburgh runners are very, you know, familiar with. And it was kind of like one of my first trail runs that I ever did. And just like the feeling of being out in nature and all that good stuff we all know and love. Um, It was just like one of those things that I was like, all right, like after surgery, like this is one I want to come back to. Um, So again, took a while. The recovery was like really slow, painful, frustrating, again, like very mentally exhausting. Um, But my goal was to come back to like that marathon distance. And then I was like, well, maybe since like a 50 K is usually on trail, like maybe I'll dabble. Um, So I signed up for like the Laurel Highlands 50 K way back when I think in like 20, I don't know, 13, maybe. Um, And I knew like, I wasn't going to be competitive. Um, I just wanted to finish. And I learned a lot from that race. Um, it kicked my ass, <laughs> the hills there. And just, you know, it was kind of like one of the first races after coming back from ankle surgery that I did. And it was, it was a struggle fest, but it's kind of set the stage for me wanting to do more and do better. Um, so yeah, but like what I love about trail running is an ultra running is that, you know, the community is amazing. It's a way to connect with nature. I've always been an outdoorsy person. Like, I don't know if you know the weather in Western PA and West Virginia, like it's more conducive to running and, you know, uh, mountain biking than skiing, which is my other, other sport. So it's something that you can do year round. Um, so yeah, it's like what I really, really enjoy and just kind of like growing mentally and physically as a person was really appealing to me, especially after I've had like so many injuries and setbacks in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even begin to comprehend like how you were able to overcome a lot of those, it, the adversity you faced to kind of go through those challenges at different stages of your life was running always kind of something that you kind of used mentally in between those stages to kind of help uh, with those challenges. Or is it maybe one of those things where in the back of your mind, kind of when you're going through the rehab, it was going to like an end goal for you. And it kind of was something that motivated you through all the rehab and pro- the processes there. I'd say it was more of an end goal and uh, that's not the end of my injuries. And I feel like running's always like the end goal to come back to, like, as you guys know, I mean, like if you're used to running and you're not running, you're kind of miserable. Um, but I also use running. I have pretty bad ADD. And as I like mentioned to you guys before the show, like I was a physical therapist in my past life before going back to school again. Um, and it's just something that like helps me focus and, you know, get through life a little bit smoother because usually I'm just kind of like all over the place. So, but yeah, I would say like, it was always the end goal that like kept me coming back to that. 
That's awesome. So kind of going from that first Laurel Highlands race, then uh, what was your training like going into that race? Were you able to kind of work up and put in some serious miles compared to your half marathon and marathon training? Or did you kind of go into it just wanting to kind of see what it was like, experience the trail and ultra scene and kind of just figure it out as you go, like a lot of trail runners do? Yeah, I feel like my longest run was like 20 miles. And then I was like, I'm just going to wing it because again, I wasn't really at the point where like I could actually comfortably run that mileage or like, you know, present day, I would obviously have had a way better base, but it was kind of like you said, like that end goal at that point in my life. So I think I probably did like 20 miles um, tops, but it was on the Laurel Highlands Trail. So I was like kind of familiar with it. Um, and But I also didn't know like anything about fueling or anything like that. And one funny thing was like, I stashed some food at like, I don't know, before like the two mile climb um, in the first like section. So I just didn't know if I was going to need anything. And I did it the night before and actually like a bear or something ate it. And I was just like really pissed off. <laughs> it wasn't there the next day but yeah I remember that <laughs> Cam will have to be careful out uh, in Montana with all those bears uh that he's oh, going to be experiencing and so be careful with your <laughs> food stashing out there as well Cam that'll be you'll have to be keeping it keep it careful. I know when I did the yeah. Shawnee adventure uh, last year, I had an aid station kind of thing set up. And the, when I came back to it on the second loop was totally dismantled and I had to go clean it up when I finished, but like, it was unedible. And I was like, it's just the worst yeah. feeling you could possibly, possibly experience. So kind of going it's from such that. A low. Yeah. It's a, you're just expecting it and then it's not there how you expect it to be. And yep. uh, it's, it's on me for sure. But uh, kind of going from that first race, then <laughs> what was kind of the next couple of races that you did that kind of continued your growth obviously like once you maybe do a 50k you kind of want to do that next distance to a 50 miler but kind of from there uh, how did what are the next steps in your ultra running journey i actually like swore i would never go beyond like a 50 mile race because i was like oh those people are crazy <laughs> um obviously that never held true but um I feel like I kind of was just trying to like work my mileage up and I did a bunch more 50 Ks. Um, and then, but I was never like running faster. I was just kind of running them to finish. Um, and then on a whim, I signed up for the Laurel Highland 70 miler, I think in like 2016 or something like that. And again, that was like something that scared me a lot and I was just going to try to finish it. Um, so obviously like I added in more long runs, um, you know, like forties, I don't even think I hit like 50 miles before that first 70 mile. Cause like, I just, I don't know. I just like, wasn't like experienced and I was just like, well, we'll see what happens. Um, so I would say like up until like 2018, which again, like that was my, like getting back from my ankle surgery. It took forever. Um, obviously like you gain a bunch of weight, you're not in great shape. And then the pain, like I still wake up with ankle pain every single morning. So, um, just kind of like working through a lot of things just to even get to that distance. I don't know if it was intelligent at that point, but I did it. <laughs> and again, um, for some reason I signed up for another Laurel 70 the following year. Um, and I remember the race director at the time was like, why do you keep coming back? Like this race sucks. Like it's hard. 
<laughs> but for me, like I kept like PRing every year. I kept dropping like an hour to an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm doing something right. So I don't know. I just kept coming back. Um, I ran some odd races. Like I ran Black Canyon 50 or 60K, 100K. Um, I ran like the Crested Butte Ultra, like 55K. So it's not the only race I've ever done was Laurel, but um, it's definitely that one that I keep coming back to. It's like special place in my heart just because it's so close to Pittsburgh and it's, I've spent so much time on it that I just like love that area. But um, like I said, I think up until 2018, I didn't really like, like I was just kind of working my way out of my hole of like having multiple surgeries and just, you know, finding like that mileage that I could do and do it like sustainably, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so you said that, you know, you kept coming back to this race, even though it sucked and was, it was a hard race because you, you kept <laughs> dropping your time. Right. When did that then did the switch kind of flip then like, Oh, I can go even faster. Or was it just kind of like this kept happening. And then later on you were like, Oh, I could like go fast and like, I can win these races if I want to. Um, so I would say like in 2018, it was like the time when things started changing for me. So the people that are closest to me, they know that like I had a dog named Teton. Um, he passed away in 2018. I spent, he's like that one of the, like one in a lifetime dog that you'll never have again. Um, and he was my training buddy, like on the Laurel Highlands trail, all this stuff. So I was obviously like devastated, heartbroken and I just put like a lot of like rage and emotion into my running at that point, just to kind of get it out. And then I ended up breaking my ankle, the same one I had surgery on, <laughs> like literally right around that time. So after that, I was like, all right, like I need to rehab better. I need to train smarter. I need to train harder. But like, again, I have like constraints within like, which I can actually function because at you know, I am not one of those ultra runners that can put in like 100, 150 mile weeks. It's just not like my body will not take it. Um, but I definitely like vowed to like, you know, get leaner, throw in a lot of speed training and also like just really like focus on quality rather than quantity. Um, and I do that to this day, like when I'm doing my long runs, um, like I really try to run them a little faster than like race pace. And then that way I have like a really good idea going into a race of like what I can like sustain. Cause I feel like we've all been there where like you're going into a race and you're like, Oh, I'd love to run this time, but like, is it actually achievable? And like, that's what I had to be like really honest with myself and, you know, kind of be like, all right, like you need to put in the training you need to have like a baseline of what you actually think is like feasible. And then like, you can focus on, you know, your results. Um, so I think just like being super honest with myself that I wasn't training hard enough to even achieve like any better results. And then like seeing, you know, like the effort that I put in and almost like taking my emotions into my running, like helped create by helping me run a little harder. Um, I started seeing like my times drop a lot and I'm not like a huge social media thing or like Strava fan because I don't know. I was just like never into that, but I feel like seeing, you know, you drop like times on Strava and things like that is like really motivating. 
and helps you just to kind of determine where you are. And especially like if you're racing in a race where somebody's also racing that you follow on Strava, like you can kind of see like comparatively, you know, where you stand and like after, so I would say like accumulation of like 2018 further, like that's where like Laurel 2020 happened. Um, just kind of like I trained super hard. Um, I was working on the COVID unit in a pandemic and I also needed an outlet for that. And when that race happened, I think it was just like all in <laughs> and I left it all out on the trail and, uh, it was a really awesome feeling, but that was like the first time that I even thought that I could even like maybe place high up in a race just based off of like, like what I was seeing with my training. Yeah, I definitely think in a way every runner relates to that, like running as like this, this release valve for emotion or like this way to process things. Um, but one thing I don't think a lot of people relate to is just the sheer amount of like injury that you've faced in your career, right? Multiple different surgeries. I mean, I'm still riding the coattails of my ACL surgery from high school football. Leslie can tell you all about right. that. Um, you know, but how do you... <laughs> you know, you're making these moves and you're striving in this sport and you're trying to get better. And then you have that big setback within, with an ankle injury. How do you respond to that mentally? You know, because there's, I, I really see there's two ways you can go from those ones. You can just be like, well, this clearly is bad for me. You're like, I need to learn how to do this. Right. And you learned how to do it right. Very successfully. So how did you like respond right. to that mentally when it happened? Um, I would say like, if I was younger, like in my younger days, I would have just like crawled in a hole and just been like, screw it. Like I'm out. Um, I think like, as you get older and you get like a lot mentally tougher and I think like relating to my other injuries and like how I've overcome them, um, it's helped me kind of like, I don't know, put things into perspective. And I also think that working around people in a hospital, it also shows you like, that you're so lucky that you can do, you know, what you can do compared to like the patients that you're taking care of. So I think having that like real world perspective, but also, um, I think I like after my last injury, I just like, well, that wasn't my last one. I had one this year too, but um, just kind of like setting like a mental framework of like, all right, like this happened, like you can't change it. But, you know, once you're able, like do as much as you can. And, you know, I really focused on like core strengthening and balance and things like that while I was still not able to run and, you know, like working on my upper body strength and things like that, which translated to improving my running, you know, so I was still doing things that were kind of motivating me to that, towards that end goal of like getting back to running and running fast, but they were also helping me, you know, improve my performance in the moment. And like, obviously I had some downs cause it's just like, Oh, cool. Here we go again. You know? But I think like, just like having that goal and I didn't need surgery, which was awesome. Like that was really huge. Um, so I knew I could like get myself out of that, but I think just staying positive, And I think that's another thing that's changed in my racing was a lot of positive self-talk. Um, I'm not like a sappy go lucky person. I'm very realistic, but like in a race and like there's studies that, you know, show that even if you smile or just like say something positive to yourself, 
like that can go a long way. And it's really, really helped me. And like, I don't even like in races, except for the rim to river, I had a few downs, but um, I really try not to let like my brain spiral like that direction because, you know, it's just like, it's an ender. So I just really, really try to stay positive and just focus on moving forward rather than like focusing on my injuries. So yeah, that's incredible mindset to have. I know like uh, Cam's younger self and in his current state, probably just, you know, crawling into the hole and, you know, kind of go through the whole thing. I feel like uh, Cam could possibly relate to that a little bit, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Totally. <laughs> maybe speculation. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, I kind of want, I kind of want to dive into uh, the Laurel Highlands uh, 70 back in 2020. Cause obviously I think this was, you mentioned it as like a turning point in your ultra career is going to that first, mm-hmm. it was your first win in your ultra career, I believe, and kind of going through yes. that whole thing. But, uh, what was that moment like kind of when you crossed the finish line and you realized that you did, you know, win that race? Um, it was awesome. I, uh, I felt great that whole race. I know that sounds really weird for a 70. Um, but also like the weather was pretty perfect. It was September. They had to move it because it was um, postponed because of COVID. Um, That also meant I had to train like through the humidity of June, July, and August, which I absolutely hate. Like usually I'm like, all right, it's summer. Like I'll back off from running. I'll focus on mountain biking, things like that. But I had to force myself to train through that weather. So I think like just going through all of that, that summer, like that was the hardest I've ever trained. And I just kind of like floated like it was that whole race was super cool just because it felt like effortless, which was amazing. And um, there's a video of me finishing. I just like heel clicked like (laughs) there's like this little log drop at the end. And like, I don't know, it was just like the best feeling. Um, And also just knowing like how much like effort and emotion like went into that, not just like that training block, but like years of like just like crushed like trying to get there but not being able to because my body wouldn't let me um and like obviously like my family and my crew just seeing them was just like awesome um I'll never forget my friend Kate it was like the first ultra she'd ever gone to and um she was just so stoked and like it was COVID so like they were like oh my god like nobody can like congregate nobody get excited everyone keep their masks on which I totally support but like you know, my mom was like, Oh my God, she's going to get disqualified because her friend is so excited. But, um, that was like a really, really cool, really cool time. And like, that's another reason I love running ultras is like, you know, like family, close friends, they're all there to share that with you. And it was like a really, really special moment. So. Well, we're super glad you didn't get get disqualified, you know, but a kind of a sad, sad way for that story to end. Uh, Kind of going from that race to rim to river then, you know, there's only two months or so uh, between that, maybe a little less. Uh, Did you have rim to river on your radar before that? And kind of, was this like a training run for that? Or did you kind of win this race and be like, I need to go hop in a hundred and try what, what this is about? Or how did that kind of come about last year? Um, so again, like 2020, we had no idea what the hell was going to go on with racing. Um, I vowed to never, and I told you this, I wasn't planning on ever running like anything beyond 50, but obviously when I ran 70 multiple times, I was like, well, Western States is literally the only hundred I'm ever going to run because 
I don't want to run a hundred miles. Like it's, it was just never appealing to me. <laughs> um, but I was living in West Virginia at the time and it was the inaugural, you know, West Virginia, hundred miler, like nothing has ever happened like that in that state. Um, is in near Vergorge, beautiful area, which is now a national park, which is super cool. Um, but I think I signed up for it because I thought Laurel was going to be canceled. Um, and I didn't want to waste, you know, my training. Cause like I told you guys, I trained super hard and I was just like, you know what, whatever, like one, it's going to be a really super cool experience, but also if Laurel is canceled, um, then like I'll, I'll still have massive amounts of miles to like go into that race and I'll be fine. Um, but you know, ultimately I used Laurel to train for (laughs) the Rimda river, which I tend to do. I tend to sign up for like a longer race before an even longer race, just to kind of like get into that race mentality, but also, you know, not to inconvenience family, friends to crew me because, you know, that's a, that's a lot of, uh, effort to ask somebody to be like, Hey, crew me for a 50 mile training run. So I really do enjoy doing races, like going into longer races just for that sake too. But yeah, so I signed up for it and I was like, I don't know what I'm getting into, (laughs) but I showed up. You showed up and you did really well. Fourth place, like you mentioned earlier in the episode. And we obviously we were out there filming all day. And whenever we kind of saw you around other people, you were kind of super excited, super happy, super positive. Uh, was that kind of your mindset going into it? Obviously, at first hundred, you can have so many mindsets going into it. Was this a race that you wanted to, you know, go for a certain time goal? Or it was like, I'm gonna finish regardless of what happens, or kind of what was that like for your first hundred? So I had a lot of baggage, like going into that race, I decided to, um, apply for PA school, um, that late in that summer and in the fall. And I was actually taking like 10 credits of like physiology, anatomy and microbiology, um, in the fall I was working full time and I was working on the COVID unit. And also I had a student at the time. So by the time like November rolled around, I was really beat like mentally, emotionally. Um, and I know that like, you know, the most important thing for me is to be like mentally strong and sound. And like, that was not the case for me. Like I was just like very drained. Um, which was very evident, like super early in the race. And I think it's funny that you said that I was like really positive because when you saw me the first time coming up out of Kmore, I was going through some shit. (laughs) Um, I literally, um, I think at like mile 24, like I, I rolled through the first 26 miles and so much so that like, my crew was like, Hey, you're like an hour to an hour and a half ahead of like your fast, like pace that you wrote down. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. Um, so after I left the mile 26 aid station, I, um, I just crashed like, and I just started like spiraling down into like this dark hole. And I was just like tripping and just I was just not in like my normal mindset. And I know it was because I was so fatigued, like going into the race and I like physically pulled myself like off of the course. And I was like, all right, like 
you literally like my sister flew in from Utah. My crew chief flew in from Texas. My pacer that was meeting me at 55, I had never met before because two of my pacers had gotten injured before the race. So I was like scrambling to find people to run with me. And I was just like, all right, like either drop out right now and like enjoy time with your friends and family or like suck it up and like go. And I was like, all right, like I can't let these people down that traveled, you know, far, far away. And also like my pacer that's never met me. I'm like, she can't think I'm like this (laughs) piece of crap. (laughs) Like I can't even make it to like mile 55. (laughs) So when you guys saw me, that's when I was kind of like working my way out of that hole. Um, And then the Trail Sisters of Morgantown, they hooked me up with like two king size Reese cups at like mile 35. And that literally saved my race. But after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to stay positive um, no matter what, because I kind of committed to continuing on with the race. Um, So, yeah, that was like. It was it was a little dark place that I dug myself out of and continued on. And from then on, I had some low points, but I really, really just tried to stay positive. And then like the one thing I told my pacer, who I had never met before, um, I was like, yo, just don't tell me when we cross mile 70 because I don't want to know. Um, because that was the furthest I had ever run in my life. And I'm like one of those people that like never look at the race as a whole. I like just go between aid stations, but I knew that like, if I knew when I was kind of crossing that threshold into like over 70, that I could potentially like, if I knew that I was doing it, I could have like gone down another dark hole because it was just like very intimidating. And again, something that I was like, never had never experienced. So Um, and obviously like finishing 70 miles before, like I knew I could finish the hundred, but I never, I don't know. I I think I was trying to go under 25 hours, um, which I did, um, which I feasibly thought I could do, but, um, I also like, I didn't know what to expect, especially with just like everything going on with my life. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. You hit on something there though. Um, and explaining what kind of got you out of that moment that I think is really interesting. A lot of people have talked about how at the end of the day, ultra running kind of is a team sport. And that Definitely. even if you do it alone, unless you do the whole Carl Meltzer thing and you just show up to hundred completely alone and you're like, it's not even that right. far. Um, you know, <laughs> thinking about all of the other people who committed to helping you at this race and you're like, well, I have to keep doing this for them, not just for me. Do you think that, going forward in the future, that could be like a a legitimate mental strategy thinking about, Hey, I'm just the one running this, but I've got this, this whole team of people here too, that I, I can't let down. This isn't just about me anymore. Oh, totally. Um, and I think like, I always really like try to thank everybody involved multiple, multiple times because, and I do use that to like motivate me, especially when you know, you're going to see somebody like at the next aid station and And you just like know that they're showing up for you. My mom showed up on crutches, like in a boot, non-weight bearing at every aid station. And I was just like, that's amazing, you know? And I mean, it's something I would do for anybody else. But the fact that like they were all there doing that for me, like my crew chief, Sarah, like she flew in from Texas, slept three hours over the course of three days so that like she could help me achieve this goal. 
And she actually paced me to the finish from like the mile 55 aid station. And we definitely shared some tears um, coming into that, but it was just, it's so amazing like having those special people around you. And it definitely is a huge motivator, um, you know, moving forward to like, know that like they're there and you want, like, you don't want to disappoint them, but also you just want to show them like how much effort you're putting in because how much effort they're putting in. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, understand that. And so, um, Similar to that, you talked a little bit before about how, you know, you kind of shifted into this mindset of, well, I'm going to do positive self-talk when I'm racing. That's been, that's been a big transition I've been trying to go through. Nobody look at my ultra sign up and see how many DNFs I have this year. Clearly not doing it quite right yet. But, you know, um, what are like some of those particular mantras and just what was the, the motivation to change from something like that? Because I... Like I said, I'm going through a, a similar kind of transformation where you're a young football player. It's like you motivate yourself a lot by being mean and nasty to yourself. And that's that's the culture of that sport. But, you know, coming to a different sport and this different culture where it's like, well, I can love myself as I do this. Right. Um, what is that like yeah. sort of been like for you? What was the motivation? What are what are like some of your mantras? Um, well, I think like just in general, I think like being more mature and like realizing that, you know, kindness to like yourself and others is just like the way to live. Like there's, you shouldn't, you know, be mean to yourself or other people um, because it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get other people anywhere. Um, but I think also like working through my injuries and realizing that like, yeah, like you look at Strava, you look at other people running hundred mile weeks and like, that's not me because I can't do it. So being kind to yourself and like finding that balance between, um, you know, like pushing yourself really hard, but also giving yourself time to recover. Like if you look at my Strava, like I, like after Laurel, I don't run for a week. And then I really slowly like work my way back up in mileage and I'm not losing any fitness. And I know that from experience. And I think a lot of people are so focused, like they're like, oh my God, I have to run seven days a week. And you don't, I think like recovery is equally as important as training hard. Um, that's why I just try to make the most out of my training runs. But going back to your question, um, I just literally, sometimes I'm just like, you're doing great like you're strong, keep going. Like I will sometimes literally like pat myself on the shoulder. I know it sounds really stupid, um, but it really helps me. And I think like the first place I saw that was the ultra runner, Lucy Bartholomew from she's um, Australian or New Zealand or yeah, she's Australian. Yeah. Australian, I believe. Yeah. And like, she's just always smiling and like super positive. And I was like, damn, like, how do you, like, how are you always smiling? Like when you're, you know, obviously suffering, but like, I just really tried to incorporate that and it works. And, you know, like if you're a negative person, you're going to project that on other people and yourself. And there's really no room for that in ultra running. And it's, it's funny, like, I'll be in races and I'll be passing people and they're just like, Oh, this sucks. Like oh, I'm feeling so shitty. And you're just like, well, you're probably not going to finish with that. attitude. <laughs> like, it's just, you know? And so 
I don't know. And I'm like I said, I'm really like I'm pretty realistic and I'm not that like bubbly person that's like, oh my God, everything's life from like butterflies and rainbows. But I think in a race, it can really, really like shift your focus to moving forward and keeping your brain from going down that like, you know, bad, bad spiral that just then like affects like everything that you're doing. That's super awesome advice. And I give you 100% permission to, uh, if you pass me at Rents River and I'm kind of in a dark spot, you know, hating life, you can just be like, hey, listen, you're not going to finish with that attitude. <laughs> Feel free to drop that on me at like my lady if, uh, if, if it's needed. I'm sure uh, hopefully I'll be able to rebound uh, from that. Sounds but I, like a plan. <laughs> uh, I want to kind of dive, you kind of touched on training a little bit. You kind of dove into the mental side of it and kind of how you kind of go yeah. into your philosophies with, you know, not doing 100 mile weeks. And that, that whole thing, but kind of going into another 100 mile race, uh, you're back in Rims River again for this November. What's your training look like going into uh, your second hundred? Uh, are you doing anything different from your first time? Is there anything differently or use kind of the same type of mantra? What's different and what are you kind of most focusing on this training block? Um, so obviously I just finished Laurel again pretty recently, but it's not as close to like it was last year within five weeks of the hundred. So I'm going to just slowly, I mean, not slowly now, like I'm going to put in some longer training runs. So probably like a 35 and then a 40 to 45 mile long run. And then just kind of focus on maintaining, like, I've also found that doing like 50 Ks and 25 milers at a higher like kind of threshold pace, like not threshold pace, but like more intense really does help me, you know, progress a little bit more than like a slow, steady state, even higher mileage run. So just focusing on hitting like a few key, pretty long runs is really what I like try to strive for. Um, and then I do do like a decent amount of cross training. So like working on core, um, some hit training and strength training for upper body. And yeah, like that's, it's been working. And I also just spent two weeks in or two and a half weeks in Utah. Um, and I did a lot of vert and, you know, climbing some high peaks. So like, it doesn't always have to come from in the form of running. And I was just like trying to find like an intensity that I could, you know, do something other than running or combine with like hiking and running to translate into the race. Um, yeah, just kind of like focusing on other muscle groups and spicing it up a bit, you know? <laughs> so I've got a couple of things there to kind of, uh, quick questions to rapid fire on you. First, I'm glad that Utah helped prepare tra trajectory, your trajectory and training <laughs> and kind of use that as a, a catapult, uh, if you will, but you are currently signed up for a 20 mile race. Uh, in the coming weeks, the Run Wild 20 Mile that we had Roman Run Company on, uh, Regina's Live, a couple of shows ago, I believe, at this point. But uh, yeah. kind of talk about what you're most looking forward to with that race. Obviously, you know, it's going to, you're going to go a little quicker time and try to use those different muscle groups. But what would be a successful race for you coming out of that? Um, so, to be honest, I haven't run a race that was like under a 50K in quite some time. So I'm like really looking forward to just, I don't know, like I run by feel a lot. So I never look at my watch. Um, so I don't know if I really have like a time goal, but I just want to like 
kind of send it. Like, I don't know. I want to maintain like a even pace probably for like 10 miles and then see what I can do in the last 10. Um, I'm really looking forward to experiencing that race and trying to go a little faster. Um, yeah, it's like, it's kind of hard. Cause like, I don't know, like, you know, like you have like your set time for like a 50 K where you're like, okay, like this great time to achieve, but, um, I just, I just want to see what like my body can do. I think at that distance, because I am so comfortable now at like longer distances. So I just want to have fun. And actually my sister's flying in from Utah. So, and she's running the race as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so I have that little family connection to look forward to, but, um, yeah. Um, like I said, I can't really give you a time, but that's, I feel like that's, um, just kind of want to see like how fast I can go. That's, that's a great answer, especially in a race like that, uh, when there's going to be so, <laughs> so many awesome, yeah. uh, runners in that race, there's a lot of fast runners. I kind of been diving into the field a little bit and kind of seeing who's come to it. And for a first year race, that race is absolutely stacked on the men's and women's side. So, uh, but we're excited to see you and your sister take first and second there, uh, Definitely. But, uh, kind of going off that, but going back to what you said I'll before, pass that yeah, you did say you kind of worked in like some strength training and some hit training as well. Uh, some workouts there. What does that look like in diving into specifics for our listeners that kind of want to work that stuff into their uh, routine? Um, to be honest, like I actually started doing orange theory about two years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, so it's a combination of treadmill work, um, a rower, and then like free weights and body weight exercises. Um, and I did that because I, I felt like I was just putting so much of my own effort. Like I run a lot by myself. Um, obviously I enjoy running with people, but a lot of times like my schedules don't line up with other people's schedules and it's like me pushing myself. So signing up for a group kind of fitness setting with a coach, um, that's yelling at you, um, is a lot kind of like easier to add into that when you're kind of sick of telling yourself the same old stuff. And, um, so kind of like, I don't know, like prolonged efforts on the treadmill and then really working on like upper body, like, mid weight stuff. I don't lift anything super heavy. I'm not into like deadlifting or anything like that, but just kind of, you know, like I figured out like the weight of your pack has a lot of impact on how fast you can run. Like when you start running with a running pack after not doing it for quite some time, you wake up the next morning, you're like, damn, I'm sore. Like, what did I do? And you're like, oh, it's the weight of my pack that like, I don't know, probably weighs an extra five pounds, like on your shoulders. Um, so it's been kind of structured on somebody else's end for me. Um, but I do do like some box jumps and plyo stuff and then really try to like hit like planks and just things. And also a lot of strengthening, like in a functional position, I'm a physical therapist in my first life. So, um, you know, doing a lot of single leg, like squats, um, proprioceptive drills, things like that, that like directly translate into running is super important. Like, I don't care how many crunches you do in your life. Like that's, that doesn't really translate to you being 
staying upright and maintaining, you know, like your balance and core strength and things like that while you're running. Um, so really trying to focus on the more functional activities rather than just like straight up being like, all right, I'm going to deadlift like X amount of weight. Like that's just not me. So. Absolutely. And I at least know what, uh, orange theory is very roughly because I've in Columbus, I used to run past one in the mornings a lot and I'd be like, Ooh, what's going on in there? Um, although (laughs) we do have a source for, if you would like somebody to, um, maybe yell is the wrong word. Wesley, you'll have to give me the right copy, but you know, somebody to get you on the treadmill and motivate you. Wesley Harton for sure has a lead for you. This, this little company in Logan, Utah called, uh, I fit health and fitness. (laughs) I don't, I don't think that oh, we yeah? like kind of do that whole uh, orange theory. I, I should probably know more about orange theory, to be honest. I feel like I kind of dropped the ball on that, but I'm definitely going to do my research, uh, professional development uh, tomorrow. But, you know, I kind of thought it was interesting about how you talked about the running pack and the weight of that. You know, Cam is actually super used to that with the high school football pads that he used to wear. You know, he still sometimes throw those on uh, on his regular trail runs just to kind of get that whole thing. So, Cam, I'm glad that you have that, you know, uh, you don't have to do the hit training and stuff so that's, that's <laughs> great you got me with that one i'm not gonna lie because mariana when you were saying that i really was thinking you know about how after my first 50k i woke up the next morning and i was like oh my god why are my traps sore it was like what did i right. do yesterday yeah. that my upper body is sore now right and yeah um 80 degrees at the start of thunder bunny 50k that year i had to carry a lot of water um, which I didn't drink enough of, you know, that was, wait, what year did you do one. that? I, uh, I did that race 2018, too. 2019. I you both I, were I there, I, I believe. There. Yeah. Yeah. Two, uh, yeah. Probably very different hot. races. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I struggled mm-hmm. one year really bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think theoretically I was in the top 10 until like mile seven. Uh, cause I didn't quite realize, you know, <laughs> Uh, just how fast those guys are for like top 10 till mile three mm-hmm. or something. I, Michael Owen told me a month ago or something ridiculous. And I was like, and then you like, uh, felt like all the way back to like 90th place or something. So <laughs> oh, nice. yeah, I, I had a pretty catastrophic blow up there, like mile 16. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that was hey, better than 20, 2019 performance cam at the 12k at Thunder Bunny where you went out there and thought you were going to win the thing and you did not win I'm the not thing. So. I going to win. To be clear, I thought a lot of people were going to be really overtrained and tired. I could sneak into like the top 10. Turns out uh, I could not sneak into the top 10 with Division One college cross country runners also there. Right. Yeah, Mariana. It happens. Did. We've all been there. <laughs> She did finish in the top 10, I believe, at least that second year at Thunder Bunny. Uh, got two quick questions for you. So first one, uh, will you return yeah. to Thunder Bunny 50K if that race ever comes out of the dead? You know, you've been there the past two years doing the 50K. Will you go back to that one in the future? Right. Heck yeah. I was actually signed up for it in 2020 and it got canceled. I love that race. I think it's like on the East Coast, it's really, really hard to find like such flowy fun trails especially that like races are on and for 50k you know the I mean yeah that's a super fun race and I would love to do that again 
So please bring it back. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, talk to our fearless leader, Michael Owen, and hopefully uh, poke and prod to make sure that race takes a, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, I've got the, uh, the air quotes there. But uh, the second question here, a little more serious now, is what are your goals going into this year's Rim to River 100? Are you going in, taking time to win this thing? You can break some news on this, uh, this episode for us. We always love the breaking news, the hot takes and stuff like that. <laughs> what is your kind of big goal for this year's Rim to River 100? Honestly, I haven't thought that far ahead. I, um, I just got out of like the three weeks time off between like my first summer semester of PA school, which was pretty intense. And then I was just like in Utah, just enjoying my life and not really (laughs) thinking about the running back. But, um, Obviously, a goal is to always improve on the performance from the previous year. Um, I think like if I had gone into last year, you know, in a less fatigued mental state and also just kind of like fresh and, you know, ready for that race, I would have done much better. So the goal would definitely be to I mean, I'm in school now. I'll be taking exams. So like, I don't know where I'll be in a mental state in November. (laughs) Um, hopefully uh still kicking but um yeah I think just definitely not being too hard on myself because I think like once you like I think you have to believe that you can achieve like something but once you have like a specific like hard goal and then you see like people passing you or you know, you're like, your miles aren't going as you planned. Um, you tend to like get discouraged. So I really try not to be like, Oh, I'm going to win this. I might joke about it, which I did this year at Laurel. Cause I actually came in with like a stomach bug and a lagging ankle injury. And I was like, I'm either going to win or I'm going to DNF. Like there's no in between. And it's funny because my parents, like after the race, they were like, yeah, we didn't think you were going to finish like Laurel this year, just based on like, again, like I was pretty beat down. I was not doing great. I didn't eat a solid meal until like Wednesday night before the race. Cause I was really sick. And so like, I try not to like hype myself up, like to the point where you're just like, yeah, like I'm going to like, you want to crush the shit out of the race, but like, I don't want to set myself up for like failure in terms of like I don't want to get discouraged if I'm not like achieving certain like milestones during the race and then you know that kind of like puts you in a crappy spot so I would say like number one goal is to just do better than last year and then we'll see where that goes I hate how smart that answer was. You know, I was, I've been saying I'm going to finish top five at this race for the longest time, way before I even should be saying anything like that. And you're coming in here with like, you know, let's just be calculated, you know, let's not do anything kind of stupid. And he uh, said really- it before <laughs> last year's finishers were at mile 30. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. Was- I don't know. I try like, and this is the mistake I made last year. Like I went out way too hard. I didn't think I was going out way too hard. It's like what my body wanted to do, but like my brain didn't match that. But really I'd say like the biggest thing for me is like, I never look at my watch because you know, in the woods, like your pace is never what it actually is. The satellites, you know, they don't do great things like with trees and switchbacks and things like that. 
So like that tends to discourage you during a race or training. Cause you're like, Oh, I thought I was like running way faster than I was. And then you look at your watch and you're like, Oh, okay. Like I'm sucking. But so I like, I completely eliminate like looking at my watch. Um, and then again, just kind of like taking the first half and just kind of like not making it like a harder effort than you think you can sustain. So I'd say like, don't get too excited and just like roll through the first like 50 miles, like get to that turnaround point at 55. I don't know. They changed like the mileage. So I'm not sure, you know, if it's still 55 or whatnot, but like, it shouldn't like, I think if you go to finish, like it shouldn't feel hard, like the first 50, because if it does, then you're kind of screwing yourself for the rest of the race. And again, that's been a lot of like trial and error for me. I've gone out way too hard in races. And then you're just like kind of stuck in this, like, all right, like, let's just try to finish like this. I feel like crap the whole time, but I found if I pace myself like really well during the first half, it really pays off in the second half. So maybe like, you know, bring in a little bit and then try to. <laughs> Absolutely. That is some, uh, some sage advice that Wesley and I will be sure to probably not follow. <laughs> I should remember um, this clip, like at the first, like the, before the start of the race, I should be going back gonna just for me. <laughs> on the start line, I'm going to play it on my phone for us. Brian's um, played over the PA speakers. Just, hey guys, don't go out too fast. If, if Laura and Brian could arrange to have like some big TV monitors at each aid station, just yeah. reminding us, just it just says, Wesley, slow down. <laughs> And then, you know, I'll, I'll get the message too, right? When I come. Told in. you so. <laughs> yeah. pa- Paul DeFord's in the chat and he, uh, he's running Rogue Rover as well for his first hundred. And he says, uh, we need that clip, that clip on loop for like the first five hours of the race. So, uh, there's, you're not just oh, yeah. motivating us here. So there's a ton of people in our generation, probably 300 runners that should take that advice and use it come November. So that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I think you just have to be like, okay with people passing you. And you just really need to focus on running your own race. And that's what I, I think that's another thing that I've taken from a lot of races is that, you know, like you're the only one that's going to be running this race, right? Like just because somebody passes you doesn't mean you're not going to pass them later. But if you try to match somebody that like is completely out of your league, like you're just screwing yourself. So I think that's like another like mantra, if you would call it a mantra, is just like run your own race. Like you're fine. It's okay that this person passed you. Like they're probably gonna struggle. And like unless they're like way better than you, they're either like way less experienced or you're gonna pass them. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. Absolutely. And you know, as, as Paul DeFord says, you know, Wesley, if you stay with me for the first few, you will be slow enough. Well, Paul, if that's the case, I'm going to make sure to stay just like, just like out of sight, you know, like whenever we get onto the streets, I can like see your back and then every turn on. So yeah, that'll be my, I'll be 20 minutes up on Paul by Ace Adventures, Ace Station One. So <laughs> Ace Adventures. That's, you started Ace Adventures. <laughs> What's a Kasha <laughs> room? <laughs> <laughs> he's missing the starting line. He's he's starting 20 minutes before he I, need a, I need an early start. I need 30, 30 hours, 20 minutes to finish that race, probably. So uh, <laughs> that's right. awesome. Let's dive into our quick questions. Cam, what's our first one for tonight? 
So our uh, our first quick question is going to be, what is one thing you can't leave an aid station without? Um, number one thing that I enter and leave an aid station with um, is Coke. The brown kind, not the white kind, because that causes your heart rate to, you know, maybe might be a little unstable for running. But um, it's actually a trick, too, that, like, I've started doing is filling a soft flask with Coke. Um, it's something that always goes down like really well for me, no matter if I'm like super nauseous. Um, and it can like really like replace an energy gel. If you really, really, really can't stomach those anymore, like late in the race and actually funny story, Laurel this year, um, I left the mile 57 aid station with, uh, yeah, a, a, a less than a full pack. AKA I only had a water bladder and I was like one mile down the trail and I'm like patting my, all my pockets in my, in my vest. And, uh, some reason, I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody handed me my empty pack that I had just taken off and not the one that I had, you know, prepared before. So I had literally no gels, nothing, but I had a bottle of like a soft flask of Coke and that got me through like the next couple of miles. And my pacer was like, I have cookies. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll take those cookies. And he's like, I don't have the cookies. And we were just like, oh my God, this is so bad. <laughs> but I had the Coke. So that's like my number one lifesaver. And also like ramen, you got to get the salt. Absolutely. Yeah. Two Two great pieces of advice there. Um, we got in the chat, you know, surprise guest appearance, Jay Bryant Baker, letting us know TVs at the aid stations playing best of Ridge Runners on a loop is working on it. I got to say, Brian, if I'm in a bad place and okay, I'm coming cool. in like mile 70, I see best of my own face on a television. <laughs> that might be it. That might put me over the edge. <laughs> that would make camp drop for sure. <laughs> I'd be like, I can't, I can't do it. I need to have a, it's like, I need to just be present in this really bad space. My face is next to the aid station workers in a different way. That's too much. Um, so moving on to our, our second quick question. Um, what's your weirdest mid-race hallucination? Or if you've never hallucinated in a race, the strangest thing you've seen somebody eat during race? Okay. Um so I've never hallucinated, but I thought I was hallucinating at Rimda River. Um, so after I left the mile 82 aid station with my pacer, Kate, um, you know, I was like, like, we were like, I don't know, three, four miles away from like where I picked her up. And this is the only time where I was like, Hey, like what mileage are we at? And she's like, I don't know. I think we've gone like four miles. And I'm like, and she's like, why? And I'm like, cause I think I see the aid station ahead of us, but like, I'm not sure. And all I saw was like a bunch of like glowing lights, like in the distance, but they looked like they were on the other side of the river. And I knew like the aid station that was coming up was on our side of the river. And I was like, dude, like that'd be great. If that was the aid station, I would love that. But like, I didn't really didn't want to put like any false hope into like my brain at that point. But lo and behold, um, probably like half a mile, three quarters of a mile down the trail, like we ran into the Ace Beach aid station and they had these massive like Viking style fires. I don't know if you guys saw them, 
It was oh, the did. most like <laughs> epic aid station. It was so cool. Well, Wesley, <laughs> um, <mostly> so. <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, my my Are you sleeping. Story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was awake at that point. I was still at uh. I forget where I was. I was in mile 50. Fayette Station, yes. Yeah. So I didn't get to go. They were at the okay. warm spots and I was freezing in the cold at Fayette Station. Not so fire we were trying were to very navigate. warm. Yeah. We were trying to get down to Ace Beach in uh, John Dolovacki's Honda Civic. And uh, that did not, oh, that did not okay. work. Um, so I actually, I got out. I'm surprised you made it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't go all the way down. Um a very nice woman whose name I sadly forgot. I know her Instagram. It's at Lady Mountain Films. She's a freelance photographer. Gave us a ride out. Um, That's awesome. But I ran down with my headlamp on and they started cheering for me. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, I can't, like, I don't want any attention right now. Um, but That's yeah, funny. excellent aid station. The vibes there were great. Uh, probably the best course oh my God, I yeah. drank in my life. The best uh, pizza ramen combo I've ever had, and the most enthusiastic uh, aid station workers. They were stoked on everything. So that was awesome. 100%. But yeah, so that was like a false hallucination turned into, like, you know, a good, good vibe. That's probably Absolutely. the most positive answer we've heard from that question. And I think that's a good trend for those <laughs> moving forward. I think just the best aid station ever should be the end of that answer at all times moving forward. <laughs> uh, kind of a new one we've added recently. And we're going to go through all these tonight because these are just ridiculous. Too. But uh, would you rather fight one chicken on day one, two chickens on day two, three chickens on day three, so on, so on for 365 days? Or fight one mountain lion after training 365 days to fight a mountain lion. If you fight the chickens, you have nothing but your hands and your clothes, but you get a sword and armor if you choose to fight the mountain lion. Which one are you picking? All right. So I will start off this by saying that like every trail runner, I think is like one of their biggest fears is being attacked by a mountain lion. Um, but that's also because they stalk you and you don't know that they're coming. Um, I think that fighting like one chicken would be totally fine. And like maybe three at a time would be fine, but like 365 is a, that's a lot of chickens. And I don't know if you've ever seen my hair during a race, but I feel like one chicken would probably get stuck in it. Cause it just becomes this like bird's nest. And I would just like never be able to like get rid of it. Um, so I, I think like if you train 365 days for the mountain lion attack, you had body armor and a sword and like you do that the mountain lion was coming, I would take my chances with the mountain lion. Final answer. Love that so answer. Best, best answer. Every, everyone we have on the show <laughs> underestimates chickens. I, they're just, they're little dinosaurs. You people. No, they're, they're crazy. Just, yeah. Yeah. And also just the and like the if you're like in time. a space, yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna, I can keep my job and train for a year to fight a mountain lion. I'll I'll find a gym. I don't know if there's like a, a karate gym here in Missoula, but I'll I'll go find a gym. <laughs> You'll see me out there, right? If I have to fight even day well, 10, 10 chickens, <laughs> I I gotta take a vacation day. Like that's so much work. No. I'm totally right with you there. I was thinking about that. And I was like, by day 365, I would probably just let the chickens like kill me because I'd just be so worn down from like the same thing every single day. But if you're like training for one 
one fight with a mountain lion and like that's your end goal you're like all right like let's do this and it's kind of like an ultra you know like exactly. i'm all in for this like one event <laughs> yeah and if you like you lose the mountain lion it's over in five minutes like if i right. die to like any number of hundreds of chickens that i feel like that's going to take a exactly. long time it's gonna be really embarrassing too like no matter yeah. how people I feel like challenge <laughs> that might go on your tombstone like <laughs> people would never let you live that down (laughs) oh man this is one of my newest favorite questions we have here and uh maggie sealander friend of the show in the chat says look i've seen a group of chickens surround a snake and destroy it you have to take the mountain lion good to know you're thinking right right, maggie your head's in the right place heck yeah All right. And so another one of our favorites uh, is if ultra running had walk-up songs like baseball, what would yours be? I would say hundred percent won't back down by Tom Petty. Um, you know, if you stand me up at the gates of hell, I won't back down. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's my life. <laughs> and that uh, also really translates into ultra running. So there's definitely songs that like pump me up more, but that always ends up on my playlist. And it's just like one of those things that I always circle back to like, yeah. Great answer. We'll be adding that to our, uh, our Ridge Runners playlist that we have. That's on Spotify. You can find that it's, uh, it's on my Spotify. So just search my name, my profile, pull up, you can find it. Um, so far, guest wise, Tanner Lee is the only one who found it. He added the entire smoking, the bandit soundtrack, which is always a, a fun thing to find and <laughs> run again. That's awesome. And so uh, this will be our last question. We love ending the show on this one. Um, If you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner, we're going to say they're going to go on a nice conversational long run with you. Keep your pace. You know, who would it be? Well, one thing I can think of is not a person. It's my dog that I mentioned earlier in the podcast that passed away because like, you know, getting those miles back with him would be like the most special thing ever. But I don't think I could just pick one person. I think it would be like my closest friends and my family. And if we could all just like go and run on a trail, like on an epic trail together, I think that would be like the most meaningful trail running experience for me. Because everybody, I don't have like a lot, a lot of friends. I mean, like, Obviously, I have some friends, but just like the people that I close, you know, keep close to me, um, which are the people that show up for me at races. Like, I think it would just be super cool to, you know, share miles with all of them at the same time. That's a great answer. Um, and so to wrap up, do you have anybody you'd like to thank? Any sponsors you'd like to plug? Um, not sponsored by anybody, <laughs> but just like my family and my friends, like I keep mentioning, like you guys are the people that show up for me. And like, I try to make you proud as much as I can. (laughs) Um, But also um, shout out to like Laurel Highlands Ultra for like just being there and always just bringing me back and like putting me in my place, but also like using that as a platform to get better and um, I love spring gels and huma gels, and I know they had spring gels on course at Laurel Highlands. So like that kind of saved me and yeah. Um, love my on trail running shoes. 
put those through the ringer in Utah and they're really awesome for scrambling. So if you guys are looking for a pair of shoes that can like hold up to long distance trail running, but also be super, super grippy on those like approaches on summits, like try the cloud ultras. We'll have to do that. Yeah. One of our friends is uh, on uh, reps, so he uh, he's been trying to get us on that uh, Ooh, to try those for a while. Now. So <laughs> we'll we'll try to get all of regeneration yeah. on his discount code, and uh, we'll we'll try to figure Heck out what we yeah. can do. But uh, I think that's it, right, Cam? <laughs> they come in awesome colors too. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I I got a pair that they're in the closet right now. Actually, I'm gonna have to lace them up. See, maybe that's what's gonna be. That's the secret to get me up. Uh, up Mount Jumbo here just outside there my door is. in a reasonable time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was our, our show tonight. We want to thank you, Mariana, for joining us so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you to each member of Bridge Runner Nation who supports us and listens to us. We are so grateful for all of y'all. Uh, if you're not subscribed, you made it this far. Why not just subscribe to our YouTube channel? If you're listening to this later on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we love you too as well. Uh, can't wait for our next show and to see you guys out there at races. Good night. See you guys. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava club so you can get mentioned in the Strava rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Nation. Yeah.